Hello and welcome to Why Bother Podcast. I'm Mark Mayo, a journalist fascinated by the fringes of our mainstream culture and the sort of people that occupy them. During this series, I'll be speaking to some of Britain's smallest political parties to ask them what motivates them to dedicate time and energy into a cause that can often only be rewarded by a grinding election, a handful of votes and a lost deposit. My focus is not so much the policy of these parties, but the people, the culture and the position that they are striving for within our political system. These are tales of camaraderie and morality from those who aim to turn hopeless causes into reality. In this episode, I spoke to the Animal Welfare Party. From a basic, if maybe crude standpoint, the rights of animals appears to be something the population generally agrees with. So turning broad, if inactive, support into votes at the ballot box for this singular issue could be an incredibly tough act. What I found was a party fighting both of these assumptions, tooth and nail. I spoke to Vanessa, Jane and Gavin from the party leadership and started by asking Vanessa how she ended up in her position. Hi, I'm Vanessa Hudson and I'm the leader of Animal Welfare Party. My name is Jane Smith. I'm deputy leader at Animal Welfare Party and I'm the UK's first ever elected animal rights representative. I'm Gavin Ridley and I am the membership manager. It gives me an admin role uh, in processing things like the membership applications uh, and general membership inquiries. The story of how I got involved with Animal Welfare Party um, is actually it's quite interesting. I my profession I, I work in media I'm a producer director and I was going back now um, to 2010 I was looking for documentary ideas and um, at that time I was in the vegan runners club and a fellow vegan runner there said to me that uh, his partner was starting a political party for animals and I thought this is quite an interesting idea. I wonder if anyone's documenting this. Um, so I asked if I could go along to a meeting and I kind of just sat in a meeting observing um, with an idea of whether or not I sh- could make a documentary about this idea and whether other people would be interested in it. So that was my original idea was, wow, this interesting thing is happening and I can't believe in nobody else is documenting this. Um, and I got to the end of that meeting and I kind of felt like I had lost any objectivity that I should have from a journalistic point of view because um, I really wanted them to succeed. I really wanted this to happen and I really felt like there should be a political party for animals. So I think by the end of that first meeting, I had decided that I was not the right person to make a documentary on that subject because I was not impartial. But at the same time, I decided I would get involved with the party because um I really wanted them to succeed and I believed it needed more people to be involved to to make it succeed. I was a Green Party councillor um, on a town council in Cheshire and the issues closest to my heart, which I found I wanted to push the most in local government, were to do with uh, animals' rights and environmental rights, habitat, things like that, um, which on paper, are Green Party issues. But I quickly found that the extent to which which I wanted to advance those issues um, was not especially um, what was expected of me within the Green Party at that time. Uh, 
I have the greatest respect for the Green Party, by the way, and I agree with so many of their policies. But for me, it got to a point where in um, 2017, um, while in situ as a town councillor, I really wanted to be able to speak my mind at all times and really focus on those issues which I felt were not only important, but very, very urgent, i.e. animal liberation. And I did know about the existence of the Animal Welfare Party. Um, I didn't know much about it. And in all honesty, the word welfare had um, kind of made me think it might not be for me. But when I found out more about the policies, it became clear this is actually an animal rights party. So I approached the leader, Vanessa Hudson, who's still the leader, and explained, well, I think this is a chance for me to move over to um, animal politics while in an elected position. So I left the Green Party while in position, moved over, and then defended my seat in the May 2019 local elections, this time under the Animal Welfare Party banner, and polled 9.8% in All Sages West Ward, which is a, a massive record for um, for an animal party in the UK. I studied law at university um, and passed the qualifications to become a barrister. So my background is in law and I got involved in human rights um, a few years ago. My interest in animals and animal welfare has, has been around for quite a few years and I'm, I've always had quite a kind of affinity with animals. And it just naturally wedded together with animal welfare and human rights and human welfare. Uh, and that's where my sort of interest came into it. And uh, I did a psychology master's a couple of years ago, uh, which put me into um, direct study to do with an animal welfare issue, which is you know in, uh, to do with domestic violence. And as a consequence, I started to move in certain circles to do with the academic side of the animal welfare uh, aspect of my study. Um, and I happened upon the Animal Welfare Party on social media. <laughs> so I joined it a couple of years ago. I'd say probably generally quite agreed upon policy, the animal rights, and obviously the specifics people have different opinions on. But if you say to someone, you know, you kind of knock on the doorstep that you are an advocate for animal rights, they'll, as I say, generally kind of agree with you. How do you then persuade them to go to the ballot box with that and then say, you know what, it's not Conservative, Labour, bigger parties, they're not going to get my vote this time. How do you get people to move over on effectively what is quite a, a much broader platform? As to whether the issue of animals' rights is a is a subject that's agreed upon, I think most people uh, would say that, yes, they're in favour of animals' rights. However, most people eat animals <laughs> or wear animals or both. Um, the vast majority of MPs at Westminster still eat animals. So when, for example, the Labour Party says we are the party of animal rights – for me, as an animal liberationist, so in, in my scenario that I want to see, animals are not being murdered for food or, uh, or to be worn or whatever. So I think there's, a, there's a, a gap between what people think they believe in and what they're actually prepared to do at the moment. I think that will change and it is changing already. But secondly, with regard to how to move people over to voting for an animal party at the ballot box. In a a large party which is trying to, 
you know, creates a, a manifesto to run absolutely everything in the country. You can imagine the sort of debate and disagreement and the kind of different perspectives that people are going to have and how naturally that will create the sort of atmosphere of the party. But in what is essentially a kind of single issue party to a large extent in so much that if you are in the party, you believe in animal rights. I presume, I presume everyone in the party believes in animal rights. Mm-hmm. Um, but when it comes to sort of debating and, and and sort of working out how issues are going to be tackled within the party, how does that work out? Because I can imagine that it must be difficult to disagree when you all so clearly agree. If you- um, that there are things on which we have you know, plenty of room to disagree within the party. We have a full manifesto, by the way, which isn't by no means is it all about animals' rights. That's our mm. focus. But we have a full range of policies around everything from transport, education, um, policing, um, law and order, international trade, etc., it's, uh, I think, with the term single issue party, I, I, get, I totally get what you're saying. And to an extent, yes, everyone within Animal Welfare Party um, has at their core a very strong belief in um, animals' rights. And I guess there's some wiggle room as to what exactly that means to each person within the party. But yes, very... Um, uh, very much agreement within the party on that issue. Whether or not we're a single issue party, um, I would contest that actually, because I, if we think about the extent and impacts of um, decision making from human governments, humans only represent 0.01% of life on earth. And yet, if you think about the very far-reaching and often devastating impact of human decision-making on all the other species, that's the other 99.99%. To me, those parties, and this is all the mainstream parties, who operate in an anthropocentric, human-focused way, to me, they are the single-issue parties. I understand that at the moment it's it could seem odd to the outside person to think that a party is called the Animal Welfare Party and that we don't see ourselves a single issue. But we don't. We see ourselves as working towards a better world. And for us, that means a world that's better for everything that we share the earth with. So we're definitely not a single issue party. And um I'm always quite surprised when people think that we that we're a single issue party because to me it's absolutely the other way around. We're the only party that isn't a single issue party, and almost every other party out there, with the exception perhaps of the Green Party, is to my mind a single issue party because they are mainly focusing on human issues, and yet humans really we're 0.01 percent of all life on Earth, which means that 99.99 percent of life on Earth isn't human. And that we've got this this all wrong, really. We've, we have all these amazing decision-making bodies set up, these beautiful buildings, and they're all there and they're talking about human issues. But here we are, we're only 0.01% of all life. So we've, we've created these amazing institutions that totally exclude 99.99% of, uh, <laughs> of life. Um, 
So I, I say they're the single issue parties. They're the the old that's old fashioned politics, and um, I don't think that's going to last. Do you, in that sense, kind of see that the animal welfare part welfare party aren't your sort of typical party in that sense? That they're not a you know a Labour Tory style party. That they are more you know of a different ilk in a way. I think they have the benefit because they're a small party of having to fight somewhat harder for recognition um, and for exposure. Um, and I think it's not to disparage the, the, the main parties, but I think um, there's a certain amount of gratitude in smaller parties uh, because of the hard slog that they have um, to get anywhere. Um, and, you know, the, the AWP is obviously concerned predominantly with animal welfare issues. Um, and, in, and in that respect, you know, the manifesto, we do have points of interest to do with other human issues. It's not just about animals. It's our focus is animal welfare. Whereas with the larger parties, they're obviously much more um, spread over all issues. And, you know, they might have, they might pin on key policies. Whereas, you know, we have the, almost the benefit of being able to specialise in an area appeal to a certain realm of voters we're arriving at a moment in time where animal rights is now kind of intersecting with concern for the environment concern for the climate and the the you know whereas before we might have been talking to people about um plant-based diets and while we believe plant-based diets are better for for animals and for people and the environment now people are really they understand that message. They understand that, you know, eating meat, for example, is unsustainable and that we do need to cut down. Um, and they are ready now to hear that message. And they see that, that now by being ready to hear the message about the environment, they they might be more open also to thinking about the life that that animal lives as a farmed animal, how it lives, how it dies. Um, so it's almost that we can see people being more receptive to, to these ideas as as there's more information and there are more news stories um, and people are accepting that, that climate change is real, global warming is real. And, um, and yeah, and I think with the, the growth of social media, people are seeing also how, how animals live in our intensive farming systems. You know, there's a lot of information that's, that's come to people that perhaps they hadn't seen before. Um, you know, some of the undercover footage of, of intensively reared animals this is coming to a kind of new audience in a way that's that you kind of can't uh, you can't dispute it and I think that is gradually opening people's minds to 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 asking well is this something that I want to be part of you're listening to why bother podcast follow us on twitter at why underscore bother underscore pod it sounds like with a lot of, you know, a lot of politics, ultimately, you can, obviously, policy is maybe you could say is 50% of politics at the moment, but the other 50%, to an extent, with a lot of people is personality. And it sounds like something that's something you've been able to harness as well. And particularly on a local level, it can be really powerful to do that. When I stood for election last year in May 2019, I'd already been on the town council here for four years and I had if you like a four-year strong portfolio of um, people being able to see exactly what I can do 
as an animal welfare party councillor. It's things like um, through a, a motion that I submitted and got passed, we became the first town in the UK um, whereby uh, any planning application that comes in that has a new wall or solid fence, they have to insert wildlife tunnels. Um, that's that's a, a really good example of something that's easy to do. People like the idea of it. It doesn't cost councils if it doesn't really cost councils anything at all. It doesn't cost homeowners much at all. It's a matter of a few pounds. And yet the result of it is something that's almost universally popular. I think the way that you present things to people is really important. So, for example, I was aware from the start that I could very easily be seen as a person who wants to ban everything. I want to ban glyphosate. I want, you know, Mm. (laughs) um, and that's really how, unless they're shown otherwise, a lot of people, if they think about animal rights activists, they would think about, oh, they, they want to stop us having fun in some way or they are um, gobby, um, radical people with dreadlock. You know, there's, there's a there's a stereotype attached to that. And in, in being able to show that I'm far from that stereotype, so I'm very polite in meetings, but I, I like to use powers of persuasion. I believe that I'm fairly eloquent on subjects where very often at Borough Council, I'm often at the Borough Council too to try and, um, you know, get them to to go with some of our ideas Um, I'm often in a room of 80 other people where what I'm saying is absolutely brand new to all those other people they've never heard the like so I've had to find ways of being taken seriously um, on ideas that really are radical to these people in this space and time Um, and I think that requires um, empathy and a, an understanding, really, that n- new ideas are frightening to people, including people who've been politicians for a long time. And my whole job, really, is bringing people with me on a journey towards the better world that I can see. I want them to see it, too. And I believe that when they do see it, then they'll be receptive to ways that they can bring it into being. It sounds like you're actually pushing for a more balanced approach where you're not throwing all of the ideas out on the page to begin with, but more of an, a, a sort of incremental uh, release in a way. Yeah, you, that might be a good way of summing it up. I, I would say, for example, one area where an example of an area where we might have this kind of conversation is around companion animals or animal companions. And, you know, when we think about this, you know philosophically we sit there and think you know well obviously at this moment in time we're keeping lots of different species of animals as what some people might refer to as pets but we you know we don't try not to use that word we we think of them as they are as animals and we have we're keeping them as our companions but we're you know trying to sit there and think who benefits from this relationship you know in if you keep an animal in your house is that animal always the one benefiting or is it the human benefiting and are there certain scenarios where an animal actually is not benefiting at all but the human is and um, how do we advocate for greater rights for companion animals uh, in a context where actually most people we we see this as being completely normal that we keep animals in our house and we're not yet used to thinking about 
um, what that animal needs or whether actually a domestic setting is even appropriate for that animal. Um, and that would be one area where we, you know, we really would like to advocate quite strongly that um, unless you can, you are 100% sure that the setting you're going to provide for that animal is appropriate for that species and it can express uh, natural behavior, then maybe that's not the right setting for an animal. But at the same time, we think, yeah, perhaps um, the whole of UK society is not quite ready to to interrogate itself yet on, on that front because animal companion animal uh, ownership, as you might think of it, is so normalized in our society that sometimes we can't mentally interrogate those things which to us just seem completely normal for yourself then as the leader how um sort of let's talk logistically i suppose first in terms of how are you able to divide your time up how much time do you devote to it sort of on a on a on a weekly basis how does it kind of fit into your to your life then so i i work as a producer uh, and i'm freelance i'm a freelance producer and as you may know, if, if I don't know if you're uh, a staff, so you, you know, you're employed or if you're freelance, but um, your work intensity can really vary from one week to another or from yeah. one month to another. Um, so I can't say there are any hard and fast rules about how I divide up my time. Um, if, if I'm working on a project as a producer and I'm working nine to five, Monday to Friday, then, you know, it really does take up most of my <laughs> brain power that day, uh, my energy. Um, and so it might be s- some weeks like that. I might be doing little in the, in the week and doing work at, at weekends. Uh, and other times where I'm not working as a producer, I, you know, I, I have daytimes then to devote to, to, to the party work. So it's, um, it's very dependable on what my paid work schedule is. Um, yeah. and at the same time I have a, you know, I have a child as well and that, um, that really does, you know, that's uh, something you really have to factor in about, you know, how are you going to work around looking after your child as well? Ordinarily, we would have face-to-face uh, events, you know, we'd have outreach events to, yeah. to find potential new supporters, etc. Um, and unfortunately, I've not done that yet because, you know, my entire involvement, we've been on <laughs> this god-awful pandemic. Um, so I look forward to those events and, and having to set aside that time. But there'll be, you know, sporadic events that you would just take your time off to do but you know weekly yes i have to set aside um not very much you know being a small party it's actually quite easy to get to the admin on the membership side of things um i you know especially recently now that i find myself a little bit caught up with my work now that i've caught up with those things um you know small benefits of the pandemic has given me the time to do that um you know, I'm, I'm suggesting that I can do other things. I've been speaking with the party leader and saying, you know, I'll take this on, I'll do this for you. Um, so I can dedicate more time to it. Um, and I'd probably say, you know, the order of a few hours a week, I could dedicate to it. And willingly, because it's because you feel such a part of it. Like you were saying, you know, when you feel such a part of such a small small group and you actually feel you're making a difference, you are more inclined to give more time because you feel more passionate. It's very, very difficult because um, at Animal Welfare Party, being a small party, all of us, including our leader and including me, we're juggling day jobs. Um, A lot of us are juggling family life as well. So it is difficult. Um, It makes us operate sharply. So um, because 
there are a few of us and our time is um, extremely precious. I think that gives us um, the discipline to focus on the areas that we need to focus on. That seems to happen organically. And I think it's out of necessity. Um, so some things are not so important to us. For example, door knocking in elections. I actually didn't do much of that. Um for us, we we felt that we can get more bang for our buck time-wise by um, good media coverage, for example, social media as well. Um, it, it's just difficult. I think for me personally, um, between the council meetings and the press work and the actual... Um, for me, there's a lot of thinking time. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's never quantified, is it? But... Um, mm-hmm. The great, the the biggest segment of my time is uh, because we're coming up with policy from scratch that's never been done before in local government. A lot of it is literally me walking in the woods for three hours, um, literally thinking my way through obstacles and how can I how can I get this done? And it and it works, but it you know it's it's a lot of time. So I think we we are we are given the discipline that the job demands through necessity um we do a, an amazing job i think i'm not trying to blow our own trumpet but um we've got a brilliant leader vanessa hudson um we've shown ourselves to do a great job in local government um the other week actually a neighboring council um they're writing their own environmental policy now and of all the local councillors in the region um they asked me to go and present on environmental policy things like that are really um good for us because they show that our work is being appreciated and i think behind that is a recognition of the hours that we put in it, i think really it comes back to this um this core belief that you have to have in a party like this um we're uh uh, what's the word? We're we're choosing to fly our colours on at something that we believe in so much that we believe is essential to happen in the near future. That we're willing to give up these hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of hours and sacrifice other things. I know it will be the same for for people from whatever parties who are working so hard, but it is so hard for small parties. And then you get to general elections and you're up against an unfair system. So the demands really are spectacularly huge. But what what are the other options? Give up and go home. <laughs> we're not <laughs> going to do that. We're, uh, we're, we're in it to change things. We're in it for the right reasons. And I think a lot of people do see that and respect it. Yeah, no, I know what you mean. And it it feels like particularly, I'd say, kind of from the people I've been speaking to in a way, kind of uniquely, you have a remarkable level of confidence in in yourself and what you're speaking about, which I think is is really interesting. And also it kind of feels like talking to you as as or listening to you rather as you're as you're talking about, you know, the, the policies and the way you're going about it, you kind of you give it an air that it's it's only a matter of time before these things happen anyway. And that it's kind of like a, a stewardship of, of these policies that you're kind of taking yes. forward in a way. It's exactly that. Yes, you've, you've chosen the right word there. Um, it's preparing ground that we fully believe um, is going to be fertile and ready for really working with. 
uh, in a few years' time. Um, and yeah, we're, we're, we're the vanguard, really, and, and we totally believe in that. I was finding the AWP to be an intriguing party and having spoken to Vanessa, Jane and Gavin separately, I brought them all together a few months later to discuss the future and where they see themselves as part of growing trends such as veganism and fashion consciousness that would seemingly be right up their alley. I definitely think the the growth of interest in plant-based eating is is huge. It's uh, It's getting bigger every year. And obviously, that's one of the key areas that we work in. So as a party, one of our key policies is to promote plant-based diets. And that's not only for the better health of people, but for the environment and for animals too. And obviously, this year, there's been a, well, over the past year, there's been a kind of convergence of of, of those issues all coming together and people realising that uh, that the, where we get our food from is intrinsically linked to the health of the planet and also our own human health as well. And, and kind of some of those issues have obviously really brought that home to us. So I think, you know, during the pandemic, there has been a huge surge in interest in, in plant-based food products. Uh, there's been a lot of funding gone into the development of new plant-based products and yeah, the general public are coming on board. They're aware that there's an issue here and it's not just a human health issue. It's a it's a planetary health issue as well. And obviously, at the same time, many of us have been at home and with more time perhaps to 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 spare looking at the world around us. And we've seen some quite horrible things happening to animals in terms of how animals are used in food production. And I think all those kind of issues are converging to create what I hope is a new interest in, in plant-based eating. There are also things going on this year which will reinforce that idea that animals' rights and the way we interact with other species in the shared world are in, inextricably linked, whichever way you look at it. So COP26, for example... Um, these things are going to be on people's minds all of this year, um, coming hopefully coming out of the pandemic. But I agree, people's eyes have been opened in a way they possibly haven't before. You know, obviously last year we we sat and we watched the the Black Lives Matter protests, and and here in the UK, we you know we we saw statues being toppled. And I felt like for the first time we were ready to actually engage with that subject matter in a way that was perhaps meaningful and might bring about real change. And I think uh, from where we're sitting, because uh, one of the philosophies of our party is that we're a, a party that stands against speciesism. It's finally felt that the time is right for us to have a conversation about what speciesism is and why actually for any developed nation to to have a society that's built upon speciesist principles is actually just it's no longer going to pass it's no longer going to work and we have to and i think we are ready to develop an appetite to talk about what that means and how we change going forwards and i would say that this is probably the first time that i've ever felt we were ready to talk about that i would i would have just a little bit um more building on rather than anything different um my area of expertise is law uh, i'm a lawyer and so I'm really interested in the role the law has to play in answering questions to do with animal welfare. And I think that um, one of the things that people are a lot more alive to um, is 
A, because of the pandemic, but also B, because of Brexit, is where for those that just decide to continue to eat meat or um, animal products is where they come from and what the welfare standards are of those countries where they're coming from. Obviously, there was a big um, discussion over chicken, etc., from America. And I think that there's, with the move to globalisation, questions start to arise as to an international standard of animal welfare and working together to build that. Um, it's a pipe dream. It's way off. But I still think that international animal welfare is the future. In terms of being able to get on the next generation and harness that and everything, is that something that the party is kind of deliberately trying to do? Is that very much an emphasis that you're you're chasing or are you kind of feeling that maybe that aspect of it is going to be dealt with outside of politics maybe? I guess everybody in a society plays their role in um, raising the consciousness of the next generation and part of it is things like language to give one example so um, I've got three um, school-age boys and I know in school books the language around farmed animals, they're always referred to as farm animals or livestock. And in our house, we, we make a point of saying farmed animals because this is something that's done to those animals. It's not something they've chosen. And of course, every farmed animal that there is has um, ancestors who were once wild. So even right down to language and how how we bring children up in terms of talking about animals is really, really important. Um, Politics-wise, I think we're in a really fantastic position to um, encourage the younger generation of um, animal activists and people who are not necessarily animal activists, but who are brought up now in this more progressive way, um, who are going to be much more aligned to the way that we think, um, because we do feel that we're, we're a step ahead. <laughs> so, um, but but it's, it's really important. It's all the children growing up need so many things um, to be done by uh, grown-ups and by people who are older than them in terms of changing the way they think about other animals. And I I feel pretty strongly about it. If I could go to each of you and kind of discuss uh, an area of confidence and an area of concern that you'd have in terms of the party to to be able to be part of that movement, to be able to bring it forward maybe as quickly as possible or or how you would feel in, in, in that sort of regard, I suppose, starting with you, Vanessa. We take the position that we're a testimonial party, which basically means that we aim to speak to the highest possible policies on animal rights and the environment. We kind of put those policies out there. They go out there into the world. We don't own them. They don't belong to us. And they are for anyone to pick up and take on board. And if another party wants to pick them up and take them on board and run with them as their own and cherish them as their own as we would, then we're happy for that. And we can pack up and go home because, as you may know, none of us are career politicians and we don't get paid for doing this as a job. We do it because we believe no one else is kind of speaking about these issues and kind of bringing life to these policies and these ideas. So that kind of leads then on to the the answer is what are are areas of of concern and what are areas of of confidence? And obviously we're a small party and um, we might not win a seat 
uh, at the next election we contest and we are aware of that and it's okay with us that's fine because part of the reason we do what we do is for these policies to have life breathed into them and if by the process of standing for election we get these ideas to to come to more people and in whatever way that happens and in whatever way that's taken forwards that's okay that's why we're doing it um and so we we are confident that that we're on the right path and that this is necessary and that we have to do this because obviously we're in a multiple crises at the moment we're in a, a a climate crisis we're in a biodiversity crisis and we're in a kind of crisis of morality as well because of the the 70 billion animals that we have in our, our farm systems each year that we are kind of keeping in horrible conditions and 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 killing horribly and so we know that this is what we have to do to get these ideas listened to and be heard. And we hope that from by doing this, um, change comes about. And that may come about by other parties picking up these policies and taking them on board as their own. And if that happens, we're OK with that. In the general movement sense of animal rights and everything, what sort of elements do you think are potentially kind of holding you back at the moment or potentially kind of your hurdles that are in the way? Um, I think there's, in terms of us being held back, nothing. <laughs> we are very, very confident about our cause. But then again, we're situated within a really unfair political system. So that's my main concern. Um, so, and as Vanessa said, it'd be great if other parties took on our policies and our goals. Um, no problem with that. However, we're in a position where we've got parties like, for example, the Labour Party in the last general election, claiming that they are the party of animal rights. Well, I'm sorry, but the majority of Labour MPs still eat animals and wear animal products. That's not being a party of animal rights as I see it. So I think at the moment, we're in a position where um, it's quite easy for insincere parties to try to tell the public that they're strong on animals' rights when they're absolutely not. Um, with regards to what I'm confident about, I want to add to what Vanessa said. Simply put, my area of confidence is that we're on the right side of history. Um, but also, having been elected into local government, so I'm a town councillor, um, I can vouch for the fact that when I do bring in policies and get them passed that are a win-win-win for people, animals and environment, people love that. And it's once you're in place, even at the local level, it's really very easy to do that sort of stuff and to show people this can be done and this is what we need to do and, and to take them with you on that journey. They don't have to be at the really activist end of animal rights to understand that yeah, stuff that's good for everyone, all the species and the planet, is really worth doing. A single point I can make that actually is on both sides of this confidence um, concern uh, sort of leap. Uh, and that is that I think a lot of people start to consider the welfare of animals, the rights of animals, important questions, particularly when things are rammed in their face, the pandemic. Um, and they have to think about these things. But I, I think that they don't always see past certain issues. They think, oh, well, it's wrong to do this, but I'm not going to worry about the rest. Because they're not aware of it. They don't understand everything. They're, they're, they're busy people. And um, I think that 
it's important for um, organizations like the AWP to be there because we can then say, don't forget this and don't forget these issues. And okay, so great that you agree with this, but also have you thought about the other? Um, and to keep on and raising all the things that people need to think about. And I'm confident because seeing a young generation, but also seeing academic stuff online, you know, even on social media, when people discuss things, you're seeing people now say things like, where are your sources? Where are you getting that from? And they're talking like university academics, and it's on things like Quora. And it's because people are being aware now that they need to start critical thinking. And this has never been something that's been taught in schools, but it's vital that people be given the skills of critical thinking so they can actually question things, know where their food comes from, because it's too easy for people to turn a blind eye. And that's not that they're willfully doing it. It's just because that's the way human beings have been for a long time. Uh, and I think that um, I'm confident that people are changing and that they are becoming more critical thinking about everything that they do. Um, and I think it's important to have parties and organisations that do help that process along by raising issues, reminding people of what's going on. So I'll round off this uh, this conversation and I wanted to go through all of you and to, to I suppose on a, this is on a personal level, it's uh, the purest question of kind of, of why bother? What is the the personal motivation is it a kind of an entity is it just a feeling you have is it to you know a particular goal that you might have and I suppose we can go back to Gavin and start with you and to as to what the ultimate you know for you um purposes of, of yourself in the AWP um it boils down to animals existence I do not understand and never have since very young age why animals are not seen on level pegging with human beings. I don't understand why it's ever been the case, what should ever have been the case, that we see ourselves as different and divorced from the rest of the animal kingdom. I know why it's happened, but I don't see the justification for its continuance. And I just don't see why we don't <laughs> embrace animals the way that we should. Jane, what would you say for that? Uh, to answer the question, why bother? I would say, well, uh, simply put, we're born into a beautiful yet imperfect world. Life's very short. Uh, isn't it upon us to try and make it a better world for the short time that we're here so that we leave it in a better state than it was when we came into it? I would, I would think that would resonate with most people. I would hope so anyway. Vanessa, as the party leader, I'll give you the last word then on on how you how how you know for for yourself uh, how what the um, I know we spoke before that you you were kind of thinking about um, documenting the AWP and 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 the animal rights movement and stuff like that and ended up getting involved yourself and and for you you know Saturday now what would you say is kind of the the driving force behind being involved? I guess it's uh, it's it's days, afternoons, nights. Uh, either lying awake or sitting there seeing kind of some of the horrific evidence of what we do to animals, what our, what our society has permitted to be done to animals and thinking, wow, someone has to kind of write this injustice. Who's that going to be? And then realizing, well, maybe that's us. Maybe that's me. Why, why not us? You know, if, if we can do something, 
along the journey and and by no means do I think one person does this I think it's hundreds millions of people that do this that we decide we're going to write this injustice we're gonna this is not going to be something that defines us we we will be the people to stop this from happening uh that's the motivation for doing it um that's why bother because this shouldn't be happening and the, we do have the power to stop this from happening and if enough of us speak up come together then we can stop it from happening we can create a society that is fairer and that's that's why we do it discussing not only the politics of the awp but also the mantra with which they tackle issues was rather refreshing being able to take a more high ground standpoint without kicking your feet at those you perceive to be below you is a tough balance to pull off their comfort at settling for mine or maybe even no future electoral success and their belief of themselves as a vanguard it fascinated me and it's certainly a point of view unseen in mainstream party politics um, in this country and yet it appears to provide a great deal of comfort for those who believe that one day their beliefs will become the norm You've been listening to the second episode of Why Bother Podcast. The first episode with the Yorkshire Party is online now as well. And in a week's time, we'll be bringing you another episode with Britain's smallest political parties, this time the Wessex Region List. You can find us on Twitter at Y underscore Bother underscore pod. And you can also get us on ACAS, Spotify and TuneIn, among others. Thank you very much for listening.